Hi, this is Corey Turner. And along with my wife, Simone, we are the senior pastors of Numa Church. I wanted to thank you for listening to our podcast today. You're about to hear a message from one of our team that we pray builds your faith and empowers you to follow Jesus more closely. Enjoy the message. We're going to get into the Word now. If, uh, if you missed last week's message, it was called Fill the Earth. You can listen to the podcast. would love for you to do that. Um, we talked last week about God's ultimate purpose to fill the earth with his glory. This has always been God's goal from the beginning, to fill the earth with his glory, using people to do that. We talked about how in the beginning, God created Adam and Eve in his own image, and his goal for them was that they would, he gave them dominion, rule over the earth, uh, and he said to multiply. And they were to fill the earth with God's glory just by having babies, just by multiplying. That's all they had to do. Just live close to God, have babies, and fill the earth. But, um, of course, Adam and Eve rebelled, and just having babies wasn't going to get the job done anymore, which is why Jesus came, to restore us to an even better place than Adam and Eve was to pay the penalty for our rebellion, removing sin, bringing us near to God, and restoring us to this place where, again, calling us Jesus coming and saying to multiply, but not just multiplying and having babies, but multiplying disciples, multiplying disciples of Jesus who would be the new image bearers in the earth and fill the earth with his glory. And so Jesus comes on the scene, and he begins talking about all of this, but in the context of the kingdom of God. All these parables about God's kingdom growing, which was this ongoing fulfillment of God's decree in Habakkuk that said that the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And Jesus is coming and proclaiming these things about the kingdom of God that's going to come. That's what I want to talk about today is this call as Christians, followers of Jesus, to fill the earth with his glory by living out and, and really being this, uh, this people who carry a culture that's different than the culture of the world. We'll call it a kingdom culture. Matthew chapter 6, verse 10 is the passage we'll launch from. You all know it well. This is Jesus in the Lord's Prayer. He says, may your kingdom come. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So we're going to talk about today, on earth as it is in heaven. Father, we thank you for your presence. We thank you for how you are here. You have been here. And um, Father, I'm asking that you would reveal yourself powerfully to us today through your word. Father, I thank you that just as we can have an encounter with you in singing, Lord, in, in these moments of worship, I thank you, Holy Spirit, that we encounter you in the living word. Holy Spirit, we thank you that you're here as a teacher today. Lead us into truth. Father, would you change whatever you want to change? Just invite him now. Invite the Holy Spirit. Change whatever you want to change in me. Lord, we live fully for you. In Jesus' name, 
Amen. Well, when I was a kid, I, um, I grew up in a church, sort of. We were in a church for a while, but I was heavily influenced by this Christian worldview that really said that everything in the world, the, the, the world was going to get darker and darker and things were going to get worse and worse. And then ultimately, you know, nobody really outright said this, but this was this was really kind of how everyone felt and thought that the church was ultimately going to fail and the G- and then Jesus was going to come and rapture, remove the church uh, from the earth on the other side of that failure. There was actually this group of theologians that this whole doctrine was based upon. There were these books that came out, uh, the Left Behind series, and then, then there were these uh, books in the 70s and the 80s, how, how Lindsay's late great planet Earth. And then there was 88 reasons why Jesus is going to come back in 1988. Um, fail. He had the audacity. He, he went back and reworked his calculations. He said, oh, yeah, I missed one little thing. And his next book, 89 reasons why Jesus is going to come back in 1989. Yeah. But these... um. Throughout the history of the church, the the people of God have had this very victorious mindset that the church had a mission to take the gospel to the world, to disciple cities and nations, and not to just um, exist and hold on the best we can while uh, Satan takes over the world, but to little by little, like leaven in dough, as Jesus shared the prophet, the, the parable of the kingdom, to over time over years, begin gradually to influence the world around. But something happened around the 1800s where this other theology started to get in and the the church began to shift a little bit and have a different perspective. And so I was a part of this church that I got saved into and my, uh, my mindset began to shift. My worldview began to shift because my pastor began uh, talking about this uh, he was referencing back to more historical theology and talking about uh, the kingdom of God and how uh, how the kingdom of God is meant to grow. And he would reference all these Old Testament prophecies, uh, connecting them to the church. And, you know, like the, the mountain of the house of the Lord will be established as chief among mountains and the nations will stream into it. And I began to understand that a lot of these Old Testament prophecies were really prophecies that were uh, uh, that are being fulfilled and were fulfilled ultimately in the church. And, and, and this prophetic promise that the church over time would gradually uh, w- would become this influential company of people. And that Jesus was coming back not for a bride that was defeated, that was just barely holding on but that was pure and spotless and that had fulfilled the great commission. And Jesus hints at this when he talks about how the gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the earth and then the end will come, that every nation on the planet will be influenced by the gospel, not just nation, but every ethnicity, all 17,000 some odd ethnicities would be influenced by the message of the gospel and the kingdom. You know, our worldview is going to shape significantly how we live. If we have a very pessimistic outlook on the future, we're not going to really expect to uh, really, well, I mean, how, how can you take dominion? How, how can you 
um, bring a significant influence. It's like some of these theologians would say things like, why polish brass on a sinking ship? Why do we want to try to make the world around us better? Why influence the world in a positive way when it's all going to hell anyway? Let me read you some quotes from some of the ancient and more previous church fathers. Man, I got a lot of them. I can't read them all, but here's origin. All right. This is like 180. This is like 200 AD, roughly in the two, 200s. Here's what he says. Even the barbarians, when they yield obedience to the word of God, they will become most obedient to the law and most humane. And every form of worship will be destroyed except the religion of Christ, which will alone prevail. And indeed, it will one day triumph as its principles take possession of the minds of men more and more every day. Sounds a little bit victorious, doesn't it? Here's Eusebius. About 100 years later, what God or hero yet, as he has done, has set aside all gods and heroes among civilized or barbarous nations, though singly conflicting with the power of all, has utterly destroyed the opposing hosts, victorious over the gods and heroes of every age, and causing himself alone in every region of the habitable world to be acknowledged by all people as the only son of God. Athanasius, I could read you that. Augustine, Calvin, here's one more recently, Charles Spurgeon. It would be easy to show that our present rate of progress, uh, that at our present rate of progress, the kingdoms of this world never could become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. Indeed, many in the church are giving up the idea of, a, of it, except on the occasion of the advent or return of Christ, which, as it chimes in with our own idleness, is likely to be a popular doctrine. You hear what he's saying? You know, all this, all this defeatist theology and, and why polish brass on a sinking ship or why try to influence the world around us, you know, fits really well with our laziness. Here's he goes on. He says, I myself believe that King Jesus will reign and the idols be utterly abolished. The Holy Ghost would never suffer the imputation uh, to rest upon his holy name that he was not able to convert the world. I mean, come on, are we the people of God filled with the Holy Spirit or not? And so we have this, this encouragement and, and this sense, you know, as we look back through church history, that there's this expectation of the growth and advance of the kingdom of God. And so it's this worldview that Jesus was hinting at when he said, may your kingdom come, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is one of the clearest examples of Jesus hinting at the culture of the kingdom of God, gradually, slowly influencing the cultures of the world. And so if this is true, it would be helpful for us to know what is the culture of God's kingdom. A culture is simply um, an environment that is created from the, the values and the beliefs and the behaviors of a group of people. Culture is something that's hard to quantify, but it's something that we can all subjectively feel. Have you ever been amongst a group of people and just felt this culture is a little bit toxic? Never felt that before. When you start a new job, I was talking to someone recently who's working someplace uh, new, and there was there's just you know just some the, the culture is a bit toxic. Sometimes it's you can easily kind of communicate what it is. Sometimes you can't really put your finger on it. When I moved here, I was looking for a new gym to train at. And I went to like three or four different gyms. 
and I, I was looking, I was checking out the culture. What, what kind of culture are these instructors creating in this gym? When you visit a church, you, you, you kind of feel something, right? It's the culture. And culture is shaped by the primary beliefs and values of those that group of people. And when you are a group of people, a family of people, it's important to be uh, to be very deliberate about stating what those values are. Because if you don't state what those values are that make up and create the culture, if you just have no values, then the culture is going to drift to something unhealthy. It's going to drift to something more toxic. If you go to a, if you, you know, work at a company that has a great culture, they probably have very clear stated values. If you go to another place or have a bad experience in a, with a business, it's most likely that they're not really clearly communicating what those values are and getting those quality values into people. And so as the people of God, we are to have certain things that we value, certain things that are important to us. And these are to be the values of God's kingdom. As these get inside of us, as we live them out, there's this aroma of Christ, this that we exude this, this, this um, culture of the kingdom. And it's attractive. And people around us begin to experience it. And, and, and uh, spheres of influence begin to be changed for the better. Now, as a church, we don't say, all right, here's our church values. If you want to be a part of this church, you need to fall in line with these values. What, what we say is, to the best of our ability, here we've worked out a simple way of communicating what are the values of the kingdom of God. And as the people of God who are to extend the kingdom, these are the values that all of us who follow Jesus should be trying to live out. If we can focus on these things, then we will, we, we will be uh, exuding the culture of the kingdom of God. So I'm going to give you eight kingdom culture values. Are you ready? All right, so what we're saying is, is these are the eight values that if we'll focus on these, then we are going to, uh, we're going to do well. We're going to be kingdom people. Number one, first kingdom culture value, prayer fuels power. On the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came after Jesus had said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses. All right, it's God's desire for us to to have his power. But that Holy Spirit power did not come in a vacuum. It came and was poured out into a people who were in an upper room, gathered together, praying, seeking the face of God. It's God's desire that this power would flow through us, but if we want to access God's power, if we want to be a people who experience his presence, then we need to be a praying people. Revivals throughout history have always come on the other side of prayer. 
Do you know that all the good that we've experienced in the Western world, much of it was shaped by the first and the second Great Awakening, the 1700s and then the 1800s. But do you know what went into and, influ and influenced those revivals? It was the Moravian church who around the 1600s started a 24-7, 100-year prayer meeting. How about that? The leader of this Moravian movement was Count Ludwig von Zinzendorf. How about that for a name? And he led the Moravians, and they had this community of people. And they started this prayer meeting, and this revival broke out amongst them. They're sending missionaries all over the world. And it was their missionaries who led John Wesley to Christ, who was already an Anglican minister, but he came to Christ on the boat on the way over uh, as a missionary. And, uh, and, and so much of, of this spark of the great, great Awakening came out of this praying people. John Wesley said that it would seem that God does nothing except in response to believing prayer. God has sovereignly decided that only together with us as his people and through our prayer does he act. God's power flows through our prayer. And so that's why we value prayer. And so we're all seeking in our lives to grow in our own private prayer devotional life. We're all seeking to grow in intimacy with God because the, the fulfillment of, of all that you were speaking earlier, Leah, um, and, and this walking in a new level of joy, letting go of anxiety, that's all on the other side of an intimate relationship with Jesus, right? And I love what you said. Let's, we're not just looking for, yeah, it'd be great. Hey, let's have some holy laughter. That's wonderful. But how about let's live out a life of joy, joy that, that's in, inexpressible, a peace that goes beyond all understanding, has nothing to do with our circumstances, all of that comes as we cast our cares upon the Lord because he cares for us. Don't be anxious about anything, but pray. Out of that, intimacy in our own lives with God in prayer, we want to uh, grow in corporate prayer. This is why we have a prayer power gathering at 315 before this, this service every week. On the third Wednesday of every month, we have our revival prayer night, a worship night where we gather together and pray. We just did that last week. And we're continuing to take prayer to new levels. You know, the standard is much higher. The New Testament church, uh, the early church, they met every day to pray. All right, so, the, so, so there's a sense where, uh, where God's calling us higher as a family, a community in prayer. We're asking God for intercessors who would rise up amongst us and meet together regularly to pray. I've, I've asked that Numa Perth in the years to come, we would have such a passion for prayer and the presence of God and for his miraculous power to move. And, and, and we'd, we'd have such a strong team of intercessors that we'd have 24 seven prayer coming out of our church. How great would that be? Second kingdom culture value. God's word is our foundation. We build our lives upon obedience to the word of God. God, uh, Jesus gives this illustration, this parable, this, this story of two men, one who built his house upon sand and the other one who built his house upon a rock. And the storm came and the one who built his house on the sand, his house on the sand, his house didn't stand. 
his house fell down. And he says, the one who built his house on the rock, this is like the, the man uh, who hears the word and obeys, who puts it into practice. And so Jesus is trying to warn us. He's saying, the storms of life are going to come. Difficulty is going to come. We live in a fallen world. There's an enemy who wants to uh, work against what we're working for. We're going to come up in advancing the kingdom. There's going to be conflict. There's going to be storms. Build your life upon the word. Don't just be a hearer, be a doer of the word. But before we can, before we can do the word, Jesus said, don't just hear, obey. But before we can obey, we have to hear. And that's why we value the word of God. The primary way that Jesus speaks to us is through the Bible, through God's word. If we want to be a prophetic person, meditate on God's word every day. There is no, there is no biblical, genuine Holy Spirit prophecy apart from a life immersed in the word of God. And so this is why we start every day with the Bible in our lap, meditating on his word. Joshua 1.8, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it. How often? Day and night, that you might be careful to do according to all that's written in it. That's the, that's the greatest way to be a doer of the word. Just meditate on it because it gets in, in your heart and that you just start to live it out very naturally. So what does your daily discipline in the word look like? If you're just starting out, it might be, all right, I'm going to set aside a half hour, maybe 15 minutes of time in the Word and 15 minutes in prayer. If you're a veteran of the faith, maybe you're building towards setting aside an hour, two hours in the morning uh, of prayer and time in the Word. Wherever you're at, what does it look like to really embrace 2023, be a year of embracing more than anything else, these are the foundational values, prayer and the word of God. How do we follow Jesus if we don't have a relationship with him? Through prayer and through the word. Kingdom culture value number three, making disciples is not optional. It is the call of every believer to make disciples. Every Christian is called to be a disciple maker. I meet regularly with a group of men to disciple them, not because I'm a pastor, but because I am a Christian. Because every Christian is called to make disciples. Before we started the church here, we had a business, seven years. I was making disciples, looking for people. We led a, a life group, pouring into other people's lives because we make disciples not as Church leaders, we make disciples as Christians. We see this repeatedly in Jesus' teaching. Mark chapter 8, Jesus said, if you try to save your life, you're going to lose it. But if you lose your life for my sake and for the gospels, you'll save it. What is he saying? If you want to save your life, have a relationship with me, Jesus says, and also lay down your life for my mission for my purpose, for what, I've, what, for what I'm here to do. Make your life all about me and the gospel. When Jesus called people to follow him, he said, follow me and I will make you fishers of people. The call of every follower of Jesus is to work together with him 
in helping people come out of darkness into light. There's a call upon every one of us to make disciples. And so if you're just starting out in your journey of following Christ, that might just be staying a step or two ahead of the person that you're discipling. Remember when I first showed up at this church, I got saved, 21 years old, newly born again, knew nothing about the Bible, very little, was just trying to live it out, just trying to get right with God. And uh, my pastors asked me, so who are you going to disciple? Who are you going to pour your life into? If you don't pour your life into somebody else, then how are you going to grow? And so I'm like, okay. So I looked around and there was another, there was a 19 year old kid who was a couple steps behind me, just connected at the church, just getting right with God. And so I'm like, all right, so I'll disciple him. And so my weekly disciplines where I'm going to, I'm going to pray, I'm going to read the Bible and who am I going to meet with this week to disciple? Who am I going to help follow Jesus this week? We can also see this in, you know, discipleship for all of us really should also look like the example of Jesus being a friend of sinners, having genuine, authentic friendships, cultivating relationships with people who are, who they don't, who don't believe like us, who are a little bit uncomfortable to hang around. That's why we're on Red Frogs. I mean, that's why we're on Curtin Uni with Red Frogs, right, Will? We want friendships with people who are far from God. How can we communicate God's truth to them if we don't first have a friendship with them? So no matter where we're at in our journey, making disciples is not optional. It's taken 20 months in the jujitsu gym that I train at to have an opportunity to begin to disciple one of the other men there. There was this guy that uh, I trained with and we're sparring. And afterwards, he asked me what I did. I said, I'm a pastor. And he swore a little bit and was very surprised. <laughs> and uh, I was like, yeah, no, yeah, that's I, I am a pastor. <laughs> and uh, and then, you know, he's we're, we were talking. And, and this last week, we had a bit of a spar. And we're all, you know, trying to choke each other out and sweating all over each other. And he's like, he's like, hey, man, I'd love to come to your church sometime. I was like, yeah, that'd be awesome. I'd love to have you come to my church. He's like, yeah, I, I grew up Catholic and I just really, um, uh, there's something missing in my life. I was like, well, hey, let's, let's catch up sometime for a coffee. He's like, yeah, I would love that. So we actually caught up for lunch this last week. And we had a great time just talking about my journey of following Jesus. And, and you know, he was very honest and, and about his life and how he doesn't really believe, but he wants there to be a God, doesn't really, not really sure which direction should I go. And um, so long story short, we're going to catch up again in two weeks. I helped him download the, uh, the Bible app onto his phone. He didn't know which version to read, so I... It's like, should I read the Catholic Bible? Or should I read? Well, that's like, listen, New Testament, let's start there. Um, uh, so we, I said, download this translation and just start reading through John. And we'll catch up in two weeks. If you have any questions, just write them down. We'll catch up and chat again. He's like, awesome. I'm so excited about this. It's going to be great. How great is that? Come on. 20 months of praying, 20 months of kingdom culture value, just living 
being a, a, a lover of Jesus, trying to be different, and um, stuff's happening. It's exciting. Fourth kingdom culture value, miracles are normal. Miracles are normal. As a praying people who meditate on God's word, who make disciples, we should expect God to answer our prayers in very miraculous ways. People who are full of faith, who bring the request to God, should see miracles, right? Jesus said, all things are possible with God. He also said that everything, anything is possible for those who believe. He said, if you abide in me and my word abides in you, ask whatever you will, and it'll be given to you. And so if we're asking for miraculous things to happen, then miracles will become normal. A people of faith will see miracles becoming normal. This is a value of God's kingdom. Back to my, my jujitsu buddy from last week. We caught up. At the end, I'm like, hey, do you mind if I pray for you? And I just started praying right there in the middle of the cafe that God would reveal himself to him very powerfully. God, would you begin to do miracles in his life? Would you begin to reveal yourself so profoundly? And as he's talking to you, answer his prayers. Let it be so miraculous that he knows for certain that you are real. He was like, thanks, man. That was, that was great. Great prayer. <laughs> By the way, we don't actually need signs and wonders, right? Signs and wonders point to the reality that there is a God in heaven who loves us and is all powerful and wants to give good gifts to us. We already know that. Now, we, we obviously, we should see miracles amongst us as we pray where there's need for healing and breakthrough and all of that. Yes, 100%. But man, let's let's begin to believe and and, and if we... If we want miracles, signs, and wonders, who are the signs and wonders for? It's for those who are far from God. But I remember once showing up at a church. We had this, we'd moved to Melbourne for work years ago before we found Numa, and we were on the hunt for a church. It took us 18 months to find a church. And we showed up at this one church, and, and it was, man, worship, powerful, had a powerful encounter with God. It was amazing. And then the preacher gets up, and he's preaching, and he begins talking about how sometimes God will bring sickness into your life to uh, to teach you lessons and to. And I'm sitting there scratching my head and I'm thinking, I'm, all the Bible verses I know about Jesus going around doing good and healing all who are oppressed of the devil, God being the healer, and all the other passages of Scripture I know. I'm sitting there thinking, if I'm in need of a miracle and I need somebody to believe with me, this church is the last place I want to be. I don't want somebody looking me in the eyes and saying. This might be God who's brought this in your life to teach you a lesson. I need somebody saying, no, no, no. This is God's character. This is what he's like. He's all powerful. He works miracles. I'll believe with you and stand with you. All right? That's kingdom culture. Fifth, next, love gives generously. John 3.16 says, for God so loved the world that he gave. God models for us how love is expressed, it's expressed through generosity, through giving. And so in the same way, when we've been transformed by the gospel, our lives have been changed, 
one of the expressions of the kingdom of God in us is a desire to be generous out of our gratitude for what God's done. Generous with our time, generous with our skills and our abilities and our talents, generous with our money. Generosity in the kingdom of God begins in the first test of generosity is with the tithe. And when we really start to understand what it is, it's not even really generosity at all. It's just setting aside what already belongs to God. The first tenth, he says, bring into the storehouse. Where do we bring our tithe? The storehouse is the local church that God has added you to. If God's called you to be a part of this covenant family, then God has called you to tithe here. If he's called you to be somewhere else, he's called you to tithe there. Why is this important? Because we have goals of sustainability. We, we want to still be, uh, I want you to have a pastor a year from now, right? We have goals. Right now, we're still being propped up by our parent church in Melbourne. But as we grow and as we're all faithful with the tithe, there'll be sustainability, church will continue growing, we'll bring more people on staff, we'll plant other churches in the years to come, and there'll be somebody else's sustainability battle at that point, right? But God has called us to be faithful with the tithe. And then beyond that, uh, we're faithful with offerings. God may call you to support missionaries. Um, we'll have our vision offering next month where we'll we'll invite you to give maybe a monthly gift or a one-off gift. Uh to into the vision of Numa Church. Uh, then beyond that, there's opportunities to just show love to people around us, the covenant family. I, I was watching this Asbury revival video the other day, and this South American international student got up and he was talking about how difficult it is being an international student, but but and trusting God for provision. But God's been so faithful and was testifying about God's faithfulness and provision. And people start running up and just throwing cash down on the stage, just money just being thrown and this guy's weeping and it was just this powerful moment that's the culture of god's kingdom generosity and jesus speaks of it over and over again you know the and and what we get this indication we get is that jesus is not so much concerned about the amount that we give but how much is left over after we've given or a percentage of what we've given remember the the, the story of the the woman who gave like just the, the the penny. And he said, she's given all, she's given more than all the rest because she's given everything. So what does it look like for us to go to a new level of generosity? And really that flows out of this greater insight and understanding of how much God has loved, how much he loves us and how generous he's been with us and how he is our provider. So much of our anxiety and worry comes from just money issues, right? And listen, I battle that as much as the next person. But the more we grow in this understanding of God who owns it all. All right, next. How are we going on time? Looking pretty good. Sixth kingdom culture value. Freedom is a responsibility. It's good to be a free people. So we reject the notion that we have to fill our lives with rules and regulations to try to keep us on the straight and narrow. Galatians chapter five, if we walk by the spirit, we will not fulfill the desires of the flesh. And so we don't 
try to micromanage our own lives with rules to try to keep us from slipping off into a ditch. And we don't, in our teams, micromanage other people. We trust that the spirit of God on the inside and the word of God that's doing its work produces a result. And we walk in a liberty. Sure, we bring accountability to one another's lives, um, but we don't make rules to try to control people. We trust in every believer's capacity to walk in the spirit. And that helps us keep a, a culture that's free from legalism and the weird things that come out of legalism. When I was a relatively new believer, I had this battle with lust. And so I had this brilliant idea that anytime I sin in, in a way related to lust, I was going to make myself fast the next day. <laughs> I think that lasted one day. <laughs> I was like, this isn't working. This is actually making it harder. It made the desire stronger. You know, what is it when you try to put these legalistic rules around trying to, you know, it, it makes the desire even stronger to, to do it. Why? Because it's all in the flesh. There's no Holy Spirit dependence there. It's like, all right, I am going to make sure I don't sin because I'm going to I'm going to hate the thought of having to fast the next day. Sorry, it doesn't work that way. When we grow in the fear of the Lord, when we understand his holiness, when we're aware that he's there, he's always watching, he sees. You know, we have these moments. Yeah, you, you ever you ever fall into sin and then you're like, then you remember Oh, yeah, God just saw that, <laughs> you know, like, or, you know, you've, I love Olivia's story about, I don't, I'm just going to steal your story again. It just came to me. But when she was talking about, she was, weren't you like yelling at one of the kids or something? Or, and, and then, and then, uh, sorry, I'm throwing you under the bus. I'm, I know, yelling at one of the kids and then bouncing the ball because she, one of the kids bouncing the ball in the house, yelling out. Well, then she hears this bouncing sound again. And then she yells again and at one of the kids for bouncing the ball again. And then she hears this little voice knocking on the net. It's, it's Faye from across the street. It was actually her knocking on the door. It wasn't the kid bouncing the ball. And so, you know, it's, it's like those moments. It's like this realization that, you know, that's when it, when it sinks like, oh, man, okay, I was just yelling at my kids. Like when nobody else is around. But if we can have that recognition that the father's always seeing, he's holy. He's called us to live a life that be holy as I am holy. If we'll see that, if we'll desire fellowship with him, then it's a normal, natural thing to just live out holiness. We're mindful of the Holy Spirit's presence and sin just starts to fall off of our lives. So much more we could say about that. Let's keep going. Seventh kingdom culture value Church is a covenant family. Church is a covenant family. We're not building an organization, not building a company. I'm not a CEO. I'm a spiritual father, lives as a spiritual mother. God is calling many you to be spiritual moms and dads, brothers and sisters to one another. Paul says to Timothy, treat the older men like fathers, uh, the younger men like brothers, younger women like sisters. We're to have family relationships in the church. In a, in a healthy family, we don't run away. We work our issues out. We 
if we offend one another, we don't just leave, right? There's a commitment. There's a sense of joining that God has connected me here. There's this sense. It's not under compulsion. We're not a cult. If you want to leave, that's fine, right? But there's this sense where, like, I didn't choose the family I was born into. I was just born into a family. And in the same way, we there should be the sense of God has placed me amongst these people. And sure, sometimes there's, it, it, there's different seasons. God may move us on, whatever, no judgment there. But having this sense of God has placed me in the body where he desires brings this recognition that, oh, I'm not a consumer who just goes and finds the church that meets my needs, right? The problem is, is when we leave a church over relational conflict and go to another church, you've taken the problem with you because you're there, right? Like, like if, if, if we'll just stick around and work our issues out, then we can actually grow and improving character, right? And so as a family, we invest deeply in relationships. We don't want to have just surfacey relationships. We press in, we invest deeply. And I know for, for some of us, you know, like we might be introverts and it might be uncomfortable, uh, but just have your couple people, that's fine. But just invest deeply. And I know we all have insecurities that we're working through, but as we bring those things out into the light, uh, as we work through conflict, you know, some of the strongest relationships I've ever had in my life are with people that I had conflict with and then we worked it out. And then there's like so much trust after that. It's like, man, we just went through some stuff and we still love each other. I mean, isn't that like the definition of marriage, right? Like, <laughs> like in that one, like intimacy grows over the years. We've been through some stuff and we've worked it out. So what is it? What might it look like for, for you to experience a deeper level of relationship in the kingdom of God with God's people? Come on. All right, finally, if you've been a part of NUMA before, we've always had seven kingdom culture values, but this year we've got an eighth. Come on. Our eighth kingdom culture value, new to the list this year. This has been stirring in my heart. You'll remember I preached a message a few months ago called A Culture of Honor. Uh, th this was stirring in Pastor Corey's heart as well to the point where we just added it to the list. Here's a couple of Bible verses for you. Uh, Proverbs 3.27, do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in your power to do it. Romans 13.7, Paul says, give honor where honor is due. Giving honor is a kingdom principle. We'll talk about what honor means in a minute, but some, some, uh, some churches, preachers, pastors, whatever. Uh, well, let me say this. I've heard it all. I've heard honor most spoken about in the context of giving honor to church leaders. And while there is this challenge from Paul to Timothy to those who are overseers are worthy of double honor, mind you, there's also double strict accountability and double demonic attack, but double honor. The assumption there is that there's already a culture of honor, right? And that honor doesn't just flow up. It flows 360 degrees. In fact, the, the example that Jesus gave us is that it's most important that it flows down. What did Jesus say? That, that if you want to be great in the kingdom, make yourself the least, 
right? This is a kingdom culture value. Uh, he, Jesus modeled this by washing the feet of his disciples. It's an aberration of a teaching of honor to only speak about honor going up hierarchical lines of authority. All right, honor should be, we should be immersed in a culture of honor. And so we have a responsibility to give honor in every direction. So what does this mean? This means that we value and relate to people not on the basis of their performance, but on the basis of their potential in God, on the basis of their innate value. The most basic source of our value is the fact that we're made in the image of God. That's every human being on this planet, worthy of honor. That's why Jesus said to love your enemies. Those who mistreat you, persecute you, love them, honor them. Why? Because they're made in the image of God. And be like your father, who even though they act like they hate them, hate him, he gives them rain, he gives them provision, he, he has common grace available to all. Then there's an even greater honor that's bestowed upon those who don't, don't just have the image of God, but there's this, there's this new creation reality. There's an honor that's given because someone is a child of God, because someone is deeply, intimately loved by the Father and is in relationship with him. God values you and I as his children, and so we value one another in the same way. And so this means that our character is often tested by God in how we treat those who can do nothing for us. Those from whom we are certain we can receive nothing, how do we relate to them? Do we show them honor? We relate to people on the basis of their potential, not on the basis of their performance. I preached a whole message on this. You can go back and listen to it. But I remember once having this prophetic word for this young man that I was discipling. And this basically this prophetic word painted this picture for me of his future and his potential and how God saw him. And from that point, that prophetic word has, has been the bearings upon which I've discipled this young man through the highs and through the lows. If I was relating to someone or relating to him on the basis of his performance, I may have given up on him a long time ago, right? But we don't relate to people like that. We've all got our issues. We're all working through stuff. We don't relate to people on the basis of their performance, but on their potential. Those are our kingdom culture values. Maybe we can have the worship team come back. I think we got a slide here. We can put them all up. Prayer fuels power. God's word is our foundation. Making disciples is not optional. Miracles are normal. Love gives generously. Freedom is a responsibility. Church is a covenant family. And honor affirms value. We will do well 
as kingdom men and women if we will give ourselves to these. Set some goals around each of these. Growing in prayer, time in the word, making a disciple, faith for miracles, new levels of generosity, walking in freedom, free from legalism and 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 control of others and of ourselves. Experiencing a depth of relationship and covenant family and being an honorable person, being one who gives honor. Can we stand? Whichever one of these values the Holy Spirit's highlighting, can we just have a moment? Thank you for joining us for this message today. We don't assume that every person listening has a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And so today, we invite you to begin following Jesus as your Lord and Savior. The Bible teaches that every one of us has been created for a relationship with God. Sin has separated us from that relationship, but God loved us so much that He gave us His one and only Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus lived, died, and rose again, conquering sin, Satan, and death itself. If we believe in our hearts that God has raised Jesus from the dead and we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, we will be saved. So if you are ready to pray in faith, turning away from your sin and believing in Jesus for your salvation, please pray this prayer. Dear Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God and I ask you to forgive me and cleanse my heart from all of my sin. I receive by faith the free gift of eternal life, and I ask that you would fill me with the Holy Spirit. I thank you that I am born again as a child of God and that you have made me a new creation in Christ Jesus. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. If you have prayed that prayer for the first time, we would love to know and help connect you to a local church in your area. You can contact us on our website, numa.church. Thank you for listening.